Uh, Let me share some recent numbers with you this morning. Now, before I share these, I want to mention, I saw a video recently. I was talking to the guys last night uh, about this um, video. I saw some kayakers that were uh, going off this 20-foot waterfall. Now, that's pretty impressive, a 20-foot waterfall, but that wasn't what was so scary about it. It was that once they went down this 20-foot waterfall in kayaks, which was crazy, there was a calm section, and this, after this short calm section, then there was a 60-foot straight-down waterfall that was like, certainly could take your life. And so they had to be sure that they got the kayak stopped and got out of the water. Well, one of them, the kayak turned over, he got away, and he was getting to the edge and close to the waterfall, and they were throwing the lines, the safety lines. They were going, they were fishing this guy out. The, the GoPro made it even look more intense as you were watching all of this, but they, they fished him out of this river before he went off this 60-foot cliff. Now, I share that story with you to say when these young people, when, when we're talking about those who are 18 and under, from everything I see in Scripture, at about age 13 and then again at about age 18, there is a cliff they're about to go over that if we don't rescue them from a world of sin and turmoil, if we don't lead them to faith in Jesus Christ, once they go over the cliff, there's a very, very slim survival rate. Let me explain what I mean with, the, with, with these numbers. 75% of Americans claim to be Christian today. I used to hear 85%. Now, that's, that's not a very accurate number because many do not demonstrate real faith in Christ. 36% of Americans are now claiming to have had a born-again experience, which was better than I thought that it would be. Eight out of nine of that 36%, however, say that they were saved between ages 5 and 13, that they came to an understanding of the gospel, remorse for sin, repentance, and grace, and a belief that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for their sin, that that somewhere between age 5 and 13, eight out of nine, about 89% at that age come to faith in Christ. Now, of the other 11%, half of them come to faith in Christ by the age of 18, which means what's left, that that 6% of about roughly a third of Americans come to faith during adulthood. And if that's only a third of Americans, that means only 2% of Americans come to faith in Christ after the age of 18. That tells us there's a cliff that 98% of Americans will not survive Many of them don't make it past the first one, age 13. If they're not saved by the age of 13, there's only a one in nine chance that they'll ever come to faith in Christ. And then if they're not saved by age 18, there's only two in a hundred, one in 50 chance that they'll ever come to faith in Christ. And so obviously I believe as your pastor that it's important to do ministry to people of all ages. Those who are like me and maybe in the middle of a middle age crisis, we need some counsel, we need some help, we need some guidance, we need some encouragement, right? I don't know why they call 50 middle age. Not a lot of us make it to 100. But anyway, that's, you know, we, we're there, a lot of us, because I went to school with a lot of you, so you're there with me. A lot of senior adults, we care about you. We want to do vital ministry to senior adults. You laid the foundation for us, and we love you and thank God for you, and we want to prioritize that as well. Why is there more urgency here for the next generation? Is because if we don't reach them by age 18, in all likelihood, they will never be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is very urgent. 
Now, I could share some other practical reasons. Church growth, you want to see a church grow? Love kids. You just love kids. Church life, minister to kids, and there will be life in the church as we saw it this morning. You want to build leaders? Start young and save them from the heartache and heartbreak of this world and give them opportunities at a very young age. Those are all practical reasons, but we're not merely pragmatists here. We're biblicists. And so if we want biblical reasons, we look to the scriptures and find clear reasons. Real quick, I'll share three of them with you this morning that we should prioritize next generation ministry. The first one is this. Children are at a vital point of receptivity. Children are at a vital point of receptivity. Look back at the first three verses here with me. Disciples are asking who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, and he calls a child, and he says, I'm telling you, verse 3, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't tell the children, now listen, kids, I want you to learn to have faith like these adults here. You, You notice that, parents? He doesn't tell the kids, when you get to an adult understanding of the gospel, then you can be saved. That's what you need. He doesn't say that. He says, to the adults, you need to learn how to come to me as a child. Why? Because they're at this vital point of receptivity in their life. He, he talks about being converted. It is the, the Greek word genomai. We get a word genesis from. It's, it's kind of a, a new birth that he's talking about. Interestingly, there. Jesus is the one who said, you must be born again. Nicodemus, as an adult, couldn't grasp that at first, but later he would get it. But he's saying, listen, unless you're willing to start over, be converted, you become like a child. You become a a part of a new birth and and believe in me like these children. Again, it's the word for little child, paideon. It's it's a child that's um, probably not 10, 11, or 12 yet because at age 13, there would be the bar mitzvah or the bat mitzvah for a female. The, the, the boy would become a man. A girl would become a woman. But at this age, he's saying they're not quite there. They're still little. But they understand enough to say, I trust Jesus. And he's saying, you need to become like that. And so we have something here we call the presentation summit of our seven summits, summit number two that we believe that these children, especially in the elementary school, middle school ages, they can understand remorse for sin. They can understand their need for salvation. They can understand faith as totally trusting in Jesus. They haven't gotten to an age, hopefully, that they depend on themselves for everything. Like we adults think we can do it ourselves. I'll work my way into heaven. I'll impress the people around me. I'll fake it till I make it or something. But, But children... They know trust because they are living a life of trust every day in their parents and grandparents, others who provide and care for them. And so they're very open to the idea of faith and trust and putting their total trust in Jesus Christ. And so we want to give a clear explanation. That's what camp is all about. It was getting them away from their phones and getting them away from their computer games and their TVs and everything else so that for a week we could clearly explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they heard that all week long, and they were responsive to that because they're at this vital point of receptivity in their life. And I'll tell you, we don't need to feel bad about creating opportunities like that. In in fact, we should want to invest all that we can in moments like that. Listen, 
How many of you planted tomatoes this year already? Anybody planted tomatoes? I saw somebody walking up here with tomato plants the other day. Planting tomatoes, right? You're not going to feel guilty for picking that thing when it's ripe. You don't want to get it when it's too green and it's not quite ready. But boy, you would hate for that tomato to go to waste because you didn't get it when it was ripe. And so what we're trying to discern during this presentation summit and during these years is when that fruit is ripe for the picking and they can understand the gospel and they are receptive. And as a church family, we celebrate that. That's the celebration for that summit too is baptism. And we celebrated that together this morning. I was able to explain to the kids this week that baptism is not what saves you. That water does not wash away your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. But I was also able to explain to them that like a, a sign of the covenant, just like my wedding ring says, I'm not ashamed of my wife. I'm glad she's over with the preschoolers this morning, but she's, no, I'm not glad she's not with me, but I'm glad she's helping out, right? <laughs> but I'm not ashamed of my wife. I don't like take my ring off and hide it when I'm in public. And, and baptism is a public celebration of what God has already done inwardly. And listen, there are some adults here today that need to make a decision for Christ and follow the Lord in believers' baptism. It's not what saved you in the New Testament, but there was never a believer in the New Testament who was saved who hesitated to be baptized. And so children are at a vital point of receptivity. Second, this morning, I want to share with you that children are in a vulnerable place in a sin-fallen world. Receptive to the gospel, yes, but that means they're also receptive to all kinds of influences that are around them. And they're not all good. And so he talks about in verse 5, we need to be receiving the children in his name. We need to be elevating Jesus Christ in our own lives, in our homes. That's why we have the provision summit to start with. Summit number one to say, we want to help you in your home to create an environment where the word of God and the love of Jesus Christ is held up above everything else. That God loves you, that his word is true. We want you to stay plugged into a Bible-believing church. We have guests here this morning. This may or may not be the church for you, but you need to be plugged into a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church that exalts the Word of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And he says, in my name, not, not everyone is going to point to Jesus. Many churches will fight over how to keep adults comfortable rather than how to invest in reaching kids. And then in verse 6, he gives this warning. Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of sea. Why, Jesus, that's harsh. Well, Jesus always had loving, sweet, kind words to say, and he was saying, don't hurt these children. Now, Warren Wearsby says this is a double entendre. <laughs> it is, there's two interpretations to this. There's a double meaning. He was saying... That those who follow me and become my disciples, they're my kids, don't mess with them. Of all ages, even adults, the disciples of Jesus, he was saying, they're like vulnerable children, you better not hurt them. Those who persecute the church will face consequences. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, but, but those who harm his disciples will suffer the consequences. But he uses a child to illustrate by saying, we would all agree. It's as if Jesus was saying, and in and, and, and the original language here, it was, it was kind of an understanding that it would be that all of those who were hearing him teach would know, yeah, that's what you should expect if somebody harms a child. If somebody causes a child 
to stumble. And here we would say spiritually stumble. God will deal with those who mislead and misguide these vulnerable children. Whether you're talking about false prophets, false accusers, or those who would persecute the church, verse 6 illustrates the seriousness of this by how serious God will deal with such people. Now, next Sunday, I'll be talking about why we value the sanctity of life, why we value every human life, and boy, there's a need for that message in this day and age. But yeah, there's also evil people in the world today who want to hurt kids, sick and twisted people who are doing things that are an abomination unto God that I can't mention from the pulpit with the kids in here this morning. And so it's unspeakable. And this isn't the only problem. Neglect is a problem in the world today, but also spiritual neglect is a problem in so-called Christian homes. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20, there was this warning to the Jews. It says you're going to get to a place because of your rebellion as a people group, and the children are going to cry out, the summer is past, the harvest is ended, and we are not saved. I am so glad that there are some kids today who won't be able to say that. They'll say, man, summer is past, and I got saved this summer. But he, he says, look, there's going to be a generation who's saying, mom and dad and my grandparents didn't live for God, and so we didn't get the message. We didn't get the memo. We didn't understand what it was all about. And these kids are vulnerable, and they learn more from their parents than from anyone else. And so let's not be like Israel who neglect our own faith and in doing so neglect the, the needs of our kids. You say, Pastor Robbie, I love my kids. I love my family. I have the greatest of intentions. What are the priorities, spiritually speaking? What are the priorities? Or is it even spiritual? Is it, you know, the, the three A's, academics, athletics, and the arts, right? That's what people get into. I want my kids to have good grades, and they know that's a priority. Or I want them to be skilled in the arts, and so that's a priority. Or I want them to be athletic, and so we invest a lot in, in sports and sports camps and traveling and all that kind of thing. Compare that to how much you invest in seeing them grow spiritually, giving them the tools they need to grow spiritually. Kids are at a vulnerable place. Let's don't cause them to stumble by neglecting their spiritual needs. And then number three, children are valuable priority in the eyes of Jesus. That would, that would be enough, wouldn't it? Children are a valuable priority in the eyes of Jesus. See, he comes back to that. Interestingly, he kind of teaches on the family and marriage in chapter 19. And then when you get to chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, flip over a page and read this with me or scroll down a page. It says, Then children were brought to him so he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, leave the children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me because the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like this. After putting his hands on them, he went on from there. Mark's gospel says that when he laid his hands on them, he blessed them. The disciples likely thought the kids were interrupting vital ministry. Isn't that sometimes what we're guilty of? We don't want the kids to interrupt vital 
ministry. Jesus was saying, these kids are valuable to me. These kids are my vital ministry. And so we're going to prioritize next-gen ministry because Jesus valued this priority of children. He places his hands on them. I said Mark chapter 10 and verse 16 says he blesses them. In addition to a clear presentation of the gospel, there needs to be the reinforcement of the Holy Scriptures. Kids need the blessing of God on their life, and, and they need to know how to walk in his blessings. John Trent describes the, the old covenant idea of blessing as this, and I think the new covenant is just fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, right? But John Trent says that the covenant always included appropriate, meaningful touch. There need, it needs to be right, appropriate. We have to say that in the 21st century, appropriate, meaningful touch. But I'll tell you, Dad, if you don't have time for your little girl to climb up in your lap after a long day of work, there's going to be some fella out there one day that will be affectionate with her. And you need to be the number one man in her life. Appropriate, meaningful, physical affection to say, I love you. Don't let that boy get so big he don't give you a big hug on the way out the door, Dad, Mom, right? You might embarrass them a little bit. That's okay. On the inside, they're eating it up. They love it. And I'm, one of the things, I, I'm proud of my kids for a lot of reasons, but I'm most proud that I could walk down the hallway of their school when they were in high school and they'd still come up and give Dad a hug. Not hesitate, even to this day. Don't lose that, parents. Appropriate, meaningful touch. The other part is verbal affirmation. To say, I love you. I'm proud of you. Think of this. When Jesus was there on the Mount of Transfiguration and transformed in front of his disciples, a voice came from heaven. God the Father, speaking of God the Son, says, this is my beloved Son. In other words, son, this is the Son I love. I love you, Son. In whom I'm well pleased, I'm proud of you. Do they see you more upset over what they've done? Or do they hear, I am so proud. You're, you're beautiful. You're strong. You, you've got these gifts. And then he says, a third thing, third, he says a third thing in that passage, easy for me to say. He says, listen to him. God the Father was saying, so that the disciples could hear those three close disciples, this is my son, and he's got something to say. He's important. He's valuable to the kingdom, and I want you to listen. And so your children need to hear you tell them what they're good at. Discover their gifts, their passions, their strengths, and encourage that. And it may not be that they're going to live out your dreams. Listen, that's not important. It's important that they live out God's plan for their life. So Jesus made them a valuable priority to capture their hearts and their souls at a young age. Next generation ministry. I've said this, I know in conversation, Pastor Ben knows my heart. He wouldn't be here if I had not said this ahead of time. His job is not to be a glorified babysitter for the next generation. Next generation ministry is not babysitting a bunch of kids and keeping them entertained. That's not the goal. It's to make disciples. It's to equip mom and dad. It's to equip grandparents to do these things in the home. 
Yeah, we love a week like camp. We love hanging out with them. But if they're not getting it from mom, dad, and grandparents, we're going to come up short. So our goal is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that ministry starts in your home with your family. Now, it's not, it's not babysitting the next generation. If anything, it's boot camp preparing them for battle because the devil's coming after this next generation. Go home, flip on the news for just a little bit, and you'll see how he's working. He's coming after them. So we're in a spiritual boot camp with the next generation. And we've got to give them the tools, the weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So we've got to give them the tools to be victorious in that battle. As I looked out across camp last night, the invitation had ended, but others were going. And I look out and I saw kids that we used to take to camp that were now the counselors praying with other kids. And I thought, man, this is how awakenings start. When a generation of young people get passionate for Christ. Children, listen. Middle schoolers, listen to me. High schoolers, listen to me. Don't wait on us old folks to hit this altar and seek God for an awakening. You come on. Now, parents, grandparents, we should set the example. And we should be right there with them and right there behind them. But I want to tell the young people, this altar is a place for you to come and say, God, do a work in my life. And do a work through me and help me to change my home, change my community, change my school for the glory of God. You're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today as much as any of us. So let God use you to do a mighty work. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave us clear demonstration of how you prioritize ministry to the next generation. May that remain the heart of our church, the heart of this pastor heart of our staff. Lord, provide us with every resource we need. Most of all, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Protect us. Oh, Jesus, protect us from the enemy who would want to destroy what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to finish.